we're in this closed circle where the elected officials are constantly talking to a narrow slice of the American public, not just rich people, but white people and white men about issues of concern to those people. Robert Rabin has been on the inside of the Democratic Party's most exclusive gatherings, not the regular fundraisers at a local hotel or nearby McMansion. No, Robert spends much of his time at the destination fundraisers in the fancy vacation spas like Martha's Vineyard, where the party's leading financiers talk shop and cut giant checks. Clinton donors contributing another $12 million for a super PAC supporting her, while one backing her Republican rival pulled in only $1 million. Trump has- But when Robert's there, he notices something else. A lot of those donors, the people he's rubbing elbows with, don't look like the rank and file members of the Democratic Party, the sort of people who aren't invited to these types of gatherings. We've gotta keep breaking down those barriers and imagine what we can build together when each and every American has the chance to live up to his or her own God-given potential. Thank you all so Most of these donors, really, almost all of them, are white. It's really striking in 2018 or 2016 or 2015, whatever, to be with a hundred donors to the Democratic Party, an increasingly, not fast enough, an increasingly diverse group of senators. And the donor class is, you know, 96%. Robert says something predictable happens when such a homogenous group gets together. It's not that they dismiss the concerns of people of color, it's that they don't think about them at all. Maybe more than any ideological divide, this disconnect between the men and women who run the Democratic Party and the people it ostensibly represents is a crucial problem. And Robert knows it. The absence of people and conversation about how we reduce black unemployment, how we get comprehensive immigration reform, how we, how we, how we, how we, these are not priority conversations. Certainly, he's at these high-stakes fundraisers because he's done well for himself. He was an assistant attorney general under President Bill Clinton, and in 2001 formed his own lobbying shop, The Rabin Group. Robert works to drive public policy in a humane direction, and he's shown that in the economic sphere, there is not a tension between doing well and doing good. We chatted with him in his D.C. office. When we spoke, he was wearing old Kennedy presidential buttons that had been converted into cufflinks. I have uh, the Kennedy cufflinks. I run a civil rights film festival. They really These are original. They weren't cufflinks, they were the buttons. I was going to say, yeah, People yeah. People were more modest than I guess. <laughs> um, yeah. But these days, Robert is worried the party he cherishes doesn't look enough like it needs to for the future. We believe our diversity, our differences when joined together by a common set of ideals makes us stronger, makes us more creative, makes us different. A huge part of the Democratic coalition, especially in the age of Trump, is made up of African-Americans, Latinos, and Asian-Americans. From all these different strands, we make something new here in America. And yet, Democrats routinely have trouble turning these voters out. Sure, Barack Obama had sky-high support among African-Americans and Latinos when he ran for president, but the party lost big in 2010 and the 2014 midterm elections, at least in part because minority voters didn't feel compelled to vote. If Democrats are going to hold on to the Senate, what they're going to need is very simple, base turnout. Black voters in particular, but also young voters. 
to Robert and our guest later on the show, Matt Barreto of Latino Decisions, there's an easy answer for why. Democratic leaders say they care about bringing minority voters into the party, and they might really believe it, but their actions say otherwise. The relationship too often between the Democratic Party and people of color goes like this. It's a leader in the Democratic Party saying to donors who are heavily white, with your money, we're able to mobilize 50,000 new black voters in X county, and that's going to put Y senator over the top. So it's an explicit statement that we use your money to incent black people to do what we need them to do. Today, we examine why the party has a problem with its minority base and what it can do to fix it in time for 2020. This is the Democrats' way back, according to Minority Advocates. My fellow Americans, I am about to sign into law the Civil Rights Act of 1964. We believe that all men are created equal, yet many are denied equal treatment, not because of their own failures, but because of the color of their skin. Robert is a diehard Democrat. He really wants to emphasize that because he doesn't want the criticism of his own party to make people think he sees an equivalence between Republicans and Democrats. He doesn't. He just thinks Democrats can do a better job representing and integrating people of color into the larger party. How would you currently describe the relationship between the Democratic Party and the voters of color who are so important uh, to their, their coalition? Part of it is compared to what? Ask the question of any major institution in the United States, what's its relationship to people of color? And I'd probably give you, at best, that same answer. It's a regrettable fact that the nation hasn't been organized or built or incented in a way to really value people of color as full citizens. And all of the major institutions reflect that. The Democratic Party is both objectively and subjectively uh, furlongs ahead of other political institutions. Certainly uh, the voters that it attracts and the policies that it promotes. But as a professional level, sort of the institution of the Democratic Party, Mm -hmm. the power players, the funders, uh, et cetera, The gaps are still significant, and we have a long way to go before uh, people of color are actually calling the shots uh, in a way that would be concomitant or proportional with their numbers. There's a moral component to what Robert is saying, of course, but he makes just as clear that at the heart of this discussion is a pragmatic electoral necessity. We are at a point where the numerical importance of the black, Hispanic, Asian, et al. voter in the Democratic Party is clear. We are not at the point where the resources expended in order to promote our policies bears anything, any resemblance to what the demography might dictate. To use less lofty language, when you look at the tens of hundreds of millions of dollars of money spent on the Democratic side in elections, spent either by the party, spent by the wealthy super PACs, 527s, or C4s, 
the decision makers about how to spend limited resources. Am I doing broadcast media? Am I doing targeted ads? Am I doing door knocking? The decision makers are almost exclusively white, heavily male. While it is not true that every person is ignorant of the many diverse options in front of her as a decision maker, and I don't go so far as to say you have to be African American in order to be really smart about how to spend money in the black community. I will stick with the proposition that the failure to diversify, or the inability to diversify at the elite levels, and spending money in a privately raised campaign finance system is an elite level. The failure to diversify there or think that that's a problem is a terrible signal about how you view people of color. And it isn't just about spending money either. I think the major thing to do with people of color generally, particularly the Hispanics, who are by far the most under-resourced, under-capitalized political cohort in the country in terms of turnout, the gap between eligible and actual is enormous. I think the smartest thing to do isn't just the right commercial on Univision, even though the white party leaders don't even advertise on Spanish language media. They don't think it's the right vehicle, which I disagree with. I think the smartest thing to do is to have a respectful relationship with communities of color, Mm -hmm. with church leaders, with talk radio hosts, with the donors that are there, you know, so people who are influencers within communities, have a respectful relationship with them, cultivate them month in and month out, listen to what their issues are and treat them on their terms, as opposed to a transactional relationship, which is one that every September comes to them with some walking around money saying, hey, can you help us get souls to the polls? That's a crappy relationship to have with anybody. Mm-hmm. It's a particularly crappy relationship to have with people of color who can be mistrustful of a system, who can worry about your motives to begin with. Mm-hmm. So I want people of color on the Democratic side to be treated with respect and cultivation and in a peer relationship week in and week out. I do want to make one thing clear, because I asked the same question of Robert. He doesn't think it'll take a black presidential nominee for the party, say, a Cory Booker or a Kamala Harris, to achieve any of this. In fact, he's even wary of stating his preference for a nominee of color at all. I don't hoist my petard on a candidate of color. You know, I'm old enough to have clamored for an African-American on the Supreme Court to follow Thurgood Marshall, and we got Clarence Thomas. So you have to ask the right question. I didn't just want a person of color. I wanted a person of color who was going to honor Thurgood Marshall. I'd prefer, given who I am, to have a fantastic candidate of color who is trustworthy and strong and she can kick ass. But I also know that white people are are 61, 62% of the nation. There's an enormous amount of talent. And if there's a white leader who can mobilize us all and speak to us all. I think that person is also absolutely capable of exciting and mobilizing communities of color across the board. There's no question in my mind that there are white people who would be fantastic at motivating communities of color well, and there are people of color who would be terrible at motivating people of color. And so I don't stick to demography on this. Mm -hmm. Look, Democrats have problems across the board with voters of color. But if there's been one issue that's been a major flashpoint of late, 
One issue that's proven especially perplexing to Democratic leaders, it's been immigration policy. You're telling us tonight that if you become president, you won't deport children who are already here. I will not. And that you won't deport immigrants who don't have a criminal record. That's what I'm telling you. Now, I happen to agree with President Obama on many, many issues. He is wrong on this issue of deportation. I disagree with And that hasn't set well with many Latinos. My name is Matt Barreto. I'm the co-founder of Latino Decisions, and I'm a professor of Chicano Studies and Political Science at UCLA. Matt has been on the front lines of the Democrats' failed attempts at immigration reform over the past decade. It's not as if Democrats haven't called for reform, including a path to citizenship for those here illegally. They just didn't make it happen, even when they controlled Congress and the presidency from 2009 to 2011. Uh Uh-oh, some bad news for President Obama's power grab. First, a federal judge blocking the president's executive order on immigration. To Matt, he sees a party that's often at odds with itself thanks to two competing interests, winning either white voters or voters of color. We called Matt in Los Angeles to talk about it. At the core of this, what what has been the disconnect? You know, is it is it that you still have a party that is led overwhelmingly by older white men or women? Is it just a, a, a party that rests on its laurels? I thought Obama had done it, and you know what? That's all all we need is a charismatic leader at the the top of the ticket. What what is at the core of the disconnect? Well, I think there's a lot of competing interests and there are different factions within the coalition of the Democratic Party. And so uh, Democrats are trying to balance all of those different interests and demands, and they just need to make sure that one set of interests or demands don't necessarily take priority over all the others and crowd out other issues and other interests. And so it's a significant issue to confront in that how, how do you conduct outreach, both policy outreach and also just community outreach to different communities? And it's something that they need to do. They need to make sure that when they're going after one set of voters, it doesn't trade off and push away another set of voters. And I think that there are some who have that sense that sometimes issues get too uh, prioritized. Outreach gets too prioritized around trying to reach these elusive working class white voters or college educated uh, Republican women in the suburbs. Those are all important goals. But the real bread and butter of the Democratic Party are working class minorities, blacks and Latinos. So those are the folks who are voting as a group combined. People of color are voting about 80 percent Democratic. And so there needs to be more investment. There needs to be a sustained and consistent investment. And when they do that, they will get rewarded. There certainly have been examples where the turnout has been very robust and energetic. Matt points to Harry Reid's unexpected re-election in 2010 as proof of what happens when Democrats truly invest in communicating with and turning out Hispanic voters. It's the sort of thing he doesn't see enough from the party. Over the years, Latino issues have not necessarily been at the forefront or been a priority, whether it's specific issues that confront immigrant communities or if it's just a regular issue like education reform or the economy, but seen through the lens of the Latino community. That doesn't always happen in politics, regardless of which party is in power, that these immigrant and working class communities are often not the first priority for politicians and policymakers. And voters realize that. Voters know that. And that is one of the primary reasons why any uh, working class communities 
have lower rates of voter participation is that they don't feel the political system is as responsive, is as interested in their issues, is as interested in their communities. And so a lot of times when we see lower rates of enthusiasm or engagement, it's not that the voters don't know better. They do. They just don't believe that the candidates and the parties and the campaigns are doing enough to reach out and actually care about their day-to-day life. And so that's what needs to get corrected and fixed in order to increase our voter participation rates. Well, Matt, I mean, Democrats certainly say that they care about Latino voters. What is getting lost? I mean, what specifically has happened, let's just say, over the last 10 years where maybe certainly Democrats say this, but they just haven't demonstrated it with their actions? Well, the first is just a commitment to outreach. I think if you just go and get the voter rolls right now and you looked at every campaign contact that was done, people with a Spanish last name are getting far less rates of door knocks, calls, mailers, any visits to their community. So there's just less outreach and engagement. And it creates this self-fulfilling prophecy of low voter engagement. So when campaign consultants are looking at which neighborhoods and which voters to door knock, they look at people who are potential voters, likely voters that they might be able to get. And so if your community as an entire neighborhood or if you as an individual hasn't participated in the last two midterm elections because you didn't think anyone cared about you, Then those campaigns look at your community and say, well, we're not going to go there and knock on doors and we're not going to take our message there because there's not very many votes to win. So So it creates this self-fulfilling prophecy. It creates this cycle. And that's the first step, independent of any policy issue itself, is coming to the community, talking to people, meeting them where they are, understanding their point of view. And then advocating for that. And so if you're not doing that outreach, if you're not doing that contact, then people don't think uh, that you care about them, not surprisingly. On the next Democrats Way Back, we'll try to sum up everything we've learned during this series and ask one of the biggest questions for the party's future. Is this the Democrats Tea Party movement? And is that a bad thing for its chances in 2020? You know, we have seen candidates who advocate for abolishing ICE winning, at least in primaries. Is there a concern that... The party is pushing too far to the left on some key policy issues. It doesn't seem to be too far for the people showing up in these April to September elections. So not yet. Thanks very much to Robert Rabin and Matt Barreto for joining me here. And thanks to Jordan Marie Smith and Davin Coburn for producing this special episode of Beyond the Bubble. Leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. I'm Alex Rorty, and you can reach me anytime at arortyandmcclatchydc.com. That's A-R-O-A-R-T-Y at McClatchyDC.com. I'll see you tomorrow.